Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 20th, 2019. You're listening to the greatest poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Wow. <laughs> What's with the lack of energy there, buddy? I don't know. I was trying to be all well, serious. You came you know. like a circus clown today. You're like a dead seal. I try to I try to mix it up, you know, like a poker player would do. You don't always make the audience believe that you're always this up and happy guy. I tried to be all serious there for a minute. Yeah, you know, okay. Gave, right. I gave him my Barry Wyatt voice, you know. No, no, you, you did not seduce anyone with that uh, voice. Sorry. Dang it. <laughs> oh, my dear, lose that brassiere. <laughs> Sometimes it's amazing that you got married. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, the Annie Up Sweetwater Series, an Annie Up Poker Tour event at Hamul Casino near San Diego, officially kicks off Friday with a multi day $300 event. But satellites have already begun. The series has eight total events, including a 550 buy in main event with a $100,000 guaranteed prize pool. Win that, you're going to be on the cover of Annie Up. And uh, I will be there Sunday and throughout the end of it. So come out and say hi. Um, it's a beautiful poker room uh, run by a really great guy, John. Um, well, John had known him for a long time. He used to work up at Thunder Valley. Um, and he's very excited uh, to have his first uh, tournament series there. So come out and see us. Uh, enjoy uh, the wonderful San Diego weather where it's always beautiful, except for the last time I was there when it rained. But, um, and for all the details, go to antiupmagazine.com slash Hamul. And Hamul is spelled J-A-M-U-L. Uh, a couple of things. One, when we went to San Diego together, it rained too. I, that's true. That's I think true. it's you. I don't think it's the. And then the, other, the other thing is, do you think people will hold our feet to the fire if we just say they're in San Diego? Like, we do that a lot with our our locations. They're like near near Phoenix, and this one's near Sacramento. And yeah, I guess let's just say I, that's I, that where they cool. are. It's funny because I usually try to cure you of the prison uh, cell that we li- lived in in journalism with all the weird rules there and and here's one that i'm locked in that you're trying to break the case. So, yeah all right all right I'm, I'm down with it and you know it's not technically in san diego but it's in san diego yeah yeah i mean you know like i'm trying to write a headline for the magazine i'm kind of like oh we're gonna leave with hamul in this roundup but do i really say near san diego in the headline to tell them can i just say san diego to get people to know exactly where this place is well and technically it's the closest poker room to san diego yeah i know that's what i'm nobody saying nobody else could be offended if you said that because <laughs> they're farther away so you know they always say oceans 11's in san diego you know yeah, that's that's that that would be a situation of where outside San Diego would be more accurate. Yeah. See, Diego. that's what I'm saying. So I think we can let Hamul be in San Diego for our purposes. All right, all right. I'll call the mayor, let him know that uh, we just stand next to the Indian tribe. There you go. Exactly. He'll be quite happy. Very uh, but anyhow, very excited. So I'm yeah, hoping to come out and, and support the series, um, especially all of our listeners in Southern California, which we have a ton of. So I know the traffic is tough there, but uh, 
start early and come down. All the events, um, most of the events are, are in the evening, so uh, plenty of time to get down there yeah, and yeah. Uh, play some cards. So Very good. hope to see you. And if you come down, uh, say hi to me. So. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I was trying to remember that one. <laughs> your ticket includes all the seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> I think we've done this skit a couple of times yeah, on the show. I can't remember, but. Or you I can remember. I, sometimes oh the God. home game kind of blurs in with the show, you know. I can't remember Sunday, that. Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> uh, all right. In uh, perhaps the most expansive article written on the burgeoning Texas card club scene, uh, Cashmere Hill um, uh, wrote in the New Yorker um, in a way that takes readers back to the start of the new card club membership model, right through to the more recent headlines of money laundering charges that were eventually dropped over multiple conflicts of interest. Uh, so if you've ever wanted to know more about this topic, uh, I promise you this is the best article I've ever seen about it. Uh, it will answer a lot of questions about how these things get started, uh, why they uh, think they're legal, why other people think they're not illegal, what happened uh, recently with these card clubs, and the fact that one's reopened and um, another one not yet reopened. But a very, very good read. And then uh, then I also noticed that there's a lot of uh, other stuff that's come out. So um, my Houston Chronicle wrote an article a couple days ago. Um um, about where where everything stands now, so uh, it's it takes a little time for for the uh, the good journalists to come out on these things. You know, if you immediately start reading things when this stuff happens, um, it's hard to get that full story. So um, yeah, yeah. a lot of journalists have had the time now to really go back and, and do good stuff now. So definitely start with that New Yorker article by uh, Cashmere Hill, and um, you'll you'll feel a little smarter about what's going on out there. Do you think Cashmere Hill's parents were big fans of Led Zeppelin? It could be. Yeah. Could. Or, I mean, you, you know, know. funny, they, you go straight to Led Zeppelin, which most people would. For some reason, I go to um, uh, movie Primary Colors. Cause the, oh, uh, Jennifer Travolta. Travolta. And there was uh, Cashmere, somebody else. That was her name. No, I just had it, but, you know. <laughs> the only person I've ever known named Cashmere. Well, you know, you, you're a huge fan of John Travolta, so that's expected. It's true. I mean, uh, he uh, he made Broken Arrow, not, not Christian Slater. So. <laughs> Face Off was... Uh... Of course, I always love him for you know Pulp Fiction. That's what the best movie he was ever in. But uh, I digress. Yeah, well, you know, he also got the girl in Greece too. So that's true. That's true. Or the girl got him. Really, is what I think what happened. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Very good point. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to see him. Uh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Greece, don't. <laughs> sorry, don't we got just... anything in Greece too. So don't watch that. Yeah, that was a horrible movie, but it had bowling in it, so it was. It gets at least a B minus for me. <laughs> oh man! All right, uh, online poker players. I'm long worried about bots playing against them, but Alex Weldon, uh, writing on Online Poker Report, says the concern has spread to stock watchers as Morgan Stanley analysts have downgraded future stock price targets for the operators of the biggest online poker sites, Poker Stars, Party Poker, and the iPoker Network, uh, because of concerns over bots. Uh, the concern appears to be ramping up each time Carnegie Mellon University's supercomputers conquer a new part of poker, most recently um, beating, uh, booking consistent wins in six max games against pro players. The concern appears to be more about how well poker sites can detect bots playing. Uh, in related, Party Poker has said they recently started reporting how many bot accounts it closes each month with a high of 142. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, analysts would dive into the bowels of of uh, an investment to make sure that you know the money isn't 
not only safe now for their investing or whatever, but in the future. And they're always looking at stuff like this to see, you know, if there's any threats to anything, any kind of business, whether it's, you know, Boker or not. And um, it, I, it has to be a concern, I guess. Uh, I think that their their software for detecting it is probably getting better. And the fact that they're closing them down monthly and trying to get ahead of the curve on it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, the, the com- supercomputers, you know, aren't going to be, you know, in people's bedrooms, but with the way technology can get reduced in size, you know, it's, it's incredible. Maybe someday that, that could just appear on your computer someday and be a bot that would effectively beat the best players in the world. So Yeah, I was excited when my dad brought home my Commodore VIC-20 and I had to plug the little cassette tape thing in to, to yeah. play uh, draw poker. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the the phone I have sitting right next to me is well five thousand times more powerful than that. <laughs> hey, the phone next to you is more advanced than the computer that landed people on the moon. Right. So yeah, I mean yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. So this is going to happen at some point. It's not going to happen overnight, but it, it's getting to that point. Um, so yeah, that's why I put it on. I thought, I thought it was interesting. I mean, we've always and again we've kind of uh, we haven't played online poker ourselves for a long time, but um, you know that was always the concern. Although we kept telling people that you know bots were not as all not not that prevalent in the the lowest stakes because i mean why why waste your time there um and they're also not as prevalent in the highest stakes as this article pointed out because uh, there's not too many players there and the players know the tendencies and we'll be able to root out bots a little easier so it's kind of that mid stakes um place that's the best part for them so um but yeah these poker um sites are starting to make money and so they they, they are getting um watched by folks uh, to let let their clients know whether they're good, good bets or not, and uh, th- this is probably the the biggest concern facing them. Um, and uh, I like the fact that they, it really was not so much about the bots being there, but um, they're waiting to see how well the sites can can root them out. And they yeah. they use a real good example about online uh, backgammon, um, which everybody knows has has been mathematically solved, right? So when it they thought that was going to be that that was online before poker. Yep. And they thought that was going to take off, and it ultimately didn't because of that. Because bots, you know, uh, know how to how to beat you in backgammon. So, um, but they also said at that point uh, that there wasn't enough money in there for the sites to actually worry about bots. But with poker, it's a completely different story now. So, um, they, they think these three are, are are doing a good job in as in rooting them out. But it's just a matter of you know who's going to win that race. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Dan Cates and Ilya Trencher, who paid Phil Ivey's $50,000 entry fee into the Poker Players Championship at this summer's World Series of Poker as part of a backing deal that would have split the winnings three ways, have sued to get their portion of Ivey's winnings in the event, uh, which had been garnished by the Borgata Casino, uh, which has a $10.1 million judgment against Ivey. Now, just like a rookie reporter, Scott buries the lead. This is the best part of our show right here, man. <laughs> Seriously, this is our closer. This is our mother. This is Sandman right here. All right, so uh, it's Ilya Trencher, by the way. I think it's not, but but, uh, you know, they expect you to mess up names. So, but this is very. This is really interesting to me. Now, first of all, you're never going to see Ivy in America again playing poker. He's just not going to play here ever again until he's won ten point one (laughs) million. That's just never going to happen. He's going to be playing that macaw and everywhere points west of or east. It depends on which way you're going to fly there. But I mean, he he is done here. 
I mean, who's going to back him? One, two. Why would he want to play here? If he's got to turn the money over. He's probably just moving to Europe or, you know, uh, China or something. I mean, I, I would. I mean, I would. But these guys they have a legitimate beef. But at the same time, because you know, it's legal there to back people in Nevada, so it's not like they're doing anything wrong. And it's an agreement they had. It's a you know, how how do they get their money? I don't think they do. I don't think they get the money back. No, I, I think there's zero chance they will here. I mean, you know, I, I, they're trying to play this car that it was a legal contract and they were legally entitled to it. But um, there, there's all kinds of cases where there's lots of people legally entitled to that same pool of money, right? So, you know, if you have a divorce settlement and you also, you know, have some kind of other financial settlement, now you've got two people looking for that money when you win, right? So that's the same case here. And um, So now this is where I wanted to talk about with you now. Here's the thing. Let's let's just have a legitimate business like we have, okay? And we hire somebody to be a salesperson, okay? Mm-hmm. That person's job, they have a contract with us that their right. job is to go get us money and then we give them a percentage of the money because that's right. what salespeople do. They they work for commission. How is this different than that? Kate's and Trencher hire Ivy to go win money for them. He does they are the employer, he's the employee. They he wins money for them. They should. The only thing that this Borgata settlement should do is garnish his wages or garnish you know a percentage of his winnings of his earnings. He didn't earn anything. These guys hired him to do this. It's it's an interesting argument. I think that they they had the right. I don't know if they want to spend any money on it. If they had the right legal counsel, they might be able to do something with that kind of an argument. No. Oh, oh, hey, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I don't even play one on <laughs> we TV. play one on so. TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, I, I don't know where it's going to go. It seems unlikely to me, I think. You know, we know what staking is. Obviously, it's it's legitimate um, in, in Nevada. But, um, you know, if, if I'm a casino and Phil Ivey owes me money and I see him splashed all over Poker News as winning a big World Series event, uh, I don't care whether somebody bought his entry in or what kind of deal they had to get him in he won money and now he has that money and now that money is mine so um i think they are in the stronger argument i think i would say again as not being a lawyer at all but it's just I, that I, the, the I, business angle is what gets me like if, if it was just the opposite if they had read in an article that i was the real estate you know the realtor for a giant malibu beach house and i got a huge commission on it you know the person selling the house gets most of that money, and then I get a percentage of it. So if somebody I owed a debt to read that, they're not going to expect me to give them the entire amount of money I sold the house for them for. They just want my commission. This is the same thing. He's hired to do a job for them, to go play poker and beat people, and he did. And so he he gets a percentage of that, and that's what they should be able to garnish, not the entire amount when someone paid him to play in the event. It's weird. It's a a weird thing. I I think this would be something that, like, like, law students would have to dissect in class at Harvard. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a great, great uh, discussion to have um, among smart, intelligent law students. <laughs> Not two idiots on a poker podcast that know nothing else than... Which is why we buried the lead today, because we're <laughs> smart enough to actually dissect this. Uh, I, I will say uh, the, the bigger problem, I think, uh, the two backers have, and, and I kind of feel for them, because I think we were all a little surprised, right, when Ivy wins this, and then the Brigado is able to get it, even though they're based in New Jersey, and this was in Nevada, but there's a whole kind of presence thing there where they're allowed to. So maybe they didn't understand that, or maybe they didn't think that that, that would be possible here, and therefore they, they backed a player who still had good game, right? Right. Um, 
but that being said, if uh, you know I get pulled over speeding in Alabama and I think it's a 45 mile per hour zone, it turns out to 25 mile per hour zone, and see it, I, I can't plead ignorance. You know, that's not a defense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. I would imagine that's probably how this would, would, would shake down is that, you know, hey, sorry, you guys made a good deal with this guy. Uh, you just made a good deal with a ba- uh, guy that you shouldn't have made a deal with, and uh, we'll take that money. And uh, if you do it again, we'll take it again until we get to $10.1 And then you can back him and make some money off <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a, super fascinating for, for smart people to dissect. And I know we have some lawyers that listen to the show, so maybe we'll get some feedback on what they think. I mean, if, if, if Cates and Trencher had, like, establish an LLC or something and that's what they were doing and they were hiring him as an official employee and they had a contract with him and his idea because it's just like a, you know you're the Yankees and you got you yeah. hire a slugger to win here's a game here's where I you. think that argument falls down though I mean who gets the money the money goes to Ivy and then because of the terms of his contract with these two he then sends the money to them I believe I mean I don't yeah. I don't think that you can split it up at the cage and say hey it goes directly to these folks um you know that's that's why when you're a stake player, you issue you know ten nine nines and all those kind of things too, right? So yeah. I mean, those folks end up becoming your employees <laughs> in a way, right? Yeah. Um. So it, that that would be the difference if you you know if they if if when you buy in, you're like, hey, uh, here's where my money goes if I win, and it goes to these two people, not me, or I mean, uh, or a third of it comes to me, and and at that point, then then that argument will be way stronger because then then you can demonstrate that. Ivy only made one third of what he made, um, but if all the money goes to him at some point, then it's his money, and if you have a judgment on him, then you have a claim to it. So yeah, uh, very interesting, very interesting. Yeah. But I, I don't Fast. think we're gonna, I don't think we're going to be reading about this for much longer. I think he's going to get out of this, either get out of this country, or you know, he's going to live here but not play here. You know, well, the money's already been sent to Brigada, so I mean, if uh, you know the the two backers want it, they're going to have to go after yeah. Regatta and not Ivy. So uh, I, Ivy's out of this and probably not, <laughs> as you mentioned, out of everything that yeah. we'll see yeah. going forward, unfortunately, for him. So, you know, it's funny when you, you know, when you're growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s and uh, you're watching Pete Rose play and you're like, that guy, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And then later on, his Curry does something so stupid that they, you know, they, they keep him from the Hall of Fame. And when you're watching, it's one of the reasons why we never, when I worked in the sports department at the Times, we never said future Hall of Famer because you just don't know. Yeah, right possible likely yeah. whatever you want to say that's fine but don't say future because you just yeah. don't know same with this when you when you're watching ivy play the last decade you're saying this guy's going to own all the records someday and if he didn't have this problem he might actually own all the records someday but because he's probably never going to play here now again because he can't afford to lose all this money to the, back to them you know whatever it is he still owes i don't know what it is but you know he's unless he somehow pays them back you know, because it's a ten point one million judgment, but he made nine million in the edge sorting thing, so he may still have that money. He may just give it to him. I don't. I don't know what the deal is. I, I haven't read it more carefully enough, but I mean, it's interesting that something like this is going to keep him probably from breaking the records at the World Series. You know, sad. Yeah, really yeah. sad. All right. Any updates? The Texas Poker Championship, presented by Annie Up, has a tournament series in September this month, uh, later on, and December to help fund the Social Card Clubs of Texas organization. Each series features day ones at car clubs across Texas. The next uh, runs Friday through September 28th. For more details, visit socialcardclubsoftexas.org. We love to hear from our fans. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at com 
or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. And if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in the Pacific Northwest and Michigan. I tell you, we got to take the word S-E-R-I-E-S out of anything I read because I sit here and my phone comes on and says, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. Right? It happens every week, and I take the phone and I throw it across the room, and she still can hear me. And so she keeps coming back on and saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand. We love hearing from our fans. Can you please be a little more specific? And I'm like, hey, lady, shut up, okay? I'm trying to do a show. I've got a solution for you. So from now on, Siri does the any updates. So you just say, hey, Siri, can you read this? And then she's going to be so distracted that she's not going to realize that when she says Siri, then another Siri is going to have to, like, ask. I got, I'm glad I got a headphone because you just saying that right now would have had her come on and then do something else. So glad to have the headphones on. Unbelievable. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us to podcast.anyupmagazine.com, and if they have on something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. This comes from Phil. He says, I'm still catching up uh, with your shows, currently at November 2018, so still a bit behind. Too many podcasts, he says. Uh, I was wondering, and I agree with you, by the way. Uh, I was wondering why you don't do any interviews with poker pros anymore. It used to be fun when they would come on and help with Hand of the Week. Very interesting to hear about their lifestyles, too. Uh, was this a conscious decision to move away from the pro side of poker? Perhaps it was more to do with the complexity of lining up said pros. Interested in the thinking behind it and whether you'll ever go back down that route. Well, actually, we want to have pros on the show, but we have a, a settlement with a Borgata <laughs> that says we can't have any pros we have on. They're going to put them in their poker room instead of being on our show. <laughs> so we decided. I love that when he says, was this a conscious effort? Really? I'm like, oh, it, it, I didn't even realize we weren't doing interviews with pros <laughs> anymore. Actually, Subconsciously, we must have eliminated them. Phil, I'm busting you your balls. You know what he meant. <laughs> I know, I'm just busting chops here, sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I still remember the day we decided it. We were driving home in the rental truck, uh, like from Miami or something. And we were talking about how difficult it was for us to start lining up pros. And really, our magazine and our entire uh company is about giving the little guy a chance to speak a little guy to to get ink and that kind of thing and it it just it was from you added up to the difficulty of getting the pros to running out of pros to hearing the same thing over and over from the pros um and then the length of the show the show was getting up to like two hours you know and it was like you know what we just don't the time our time is too valuable right now to have to hunt somebody down and line it up and plus we were doing the whole skype thing for a while because our time was you know we couldn't afford to go to the radio station anymore and line up these guys and and then they're always on time differences they're always in vegas or whatever so for us to do our show in the morning they're not going to get up at seven there were just so many factors that just we said you know what we're going to change our show up and, and make it more you know newsworthy at the front and then you know analysis at the back and that's that's the way it went yeah, that being said, I, occasionally when I travel, I run into folks that I think might be interesting. Um, so uh, I haven't yet, but uh, there might be a time where I pop out the portable recorder and and ask a few questions. But yeah, I think the days of having them on for an hour and a half to uh, listen to them pee before they get on the show, like Mike Madison. 
<laughs> all the way through uh, dinner in the ground and uh, chastising me for my above a pocket tens. Um, uh, I, I probably over. But uh, with that being said, there's lots of other places you can go for that kind of stuff as well too. Not trying to drive people away from the show, but um, you know, I think one of the things we recognized when we started the company in general was that you can't be all things to all people. So yeah. you pick a niche and uh, you try to own that niche. And uh, folks that are really interested in all the niches will find time to to listen to all the shows or read all the magazines and those that aren't are going to pick the ones that they like the best so yeah i mean uh, if if let's be let's be truthful if phil ivy called me up and said hey man i like what you had to say on the show and uh i want you to be the only podcast to hear my side of the story or something <laughs> i'm gonna take that interview you we'll know make that happen yeah I but i'm not gonna sure seek them out like what you said about them, no i know or, or you know or i didn't like what you had to say and i want to i want to clear the air or something you know whatever but i i just don't see that happening and you know i we used to go out and seek the interviews. They never sought us out unless they had something to push. And so this is a nice transition for us to just get out of the, the interviewing game for now. And not, you know, I thought we had some good interviews, you know, we, we came oh, yeah. up with some good I mean, questions. That was probably some of the highlights of the show back then. Um, but you know, different era now. So, uh, and I think poker players were more interesting back when we used to have them on the show. Yeah. Um, I think now, I mean, I just did, uh, interviewed myself on a podcast that's going to come out soon and I'll be sure to bring that back up on the show when it's available to listen. But, uh, that was one of the interesting things we talked about is that, um, you know, pros just are not as are interesting these days because the game has changed to the point that it's so mathematical and everybody knows the right moves and everything that, you know, most players, quite frankly, are more boring than they were back in the day when we started and they were personalities. Yeah, I mean, we started right around the boom with the show. You know, it was like a year later, Mary, but it was it was the height of the boom and, and we everyone was watching poker on TV and they wanted to get to know these people and and then we just continued that because that was sort of our business model at the time. But now, like you said, when you, you barely even watch it on TV anymore and when you do see it on TV, there's so many people playing poker now that you don't see that many repeat people, you know, and the characters aren't as there like they used to be. Now a lot of them are just, you know, business, you know, they, they're all business at the table and they want to win and they're adding up the yeah, numbers. You don't see a Johnny Chan with a scarf and an orange. An orange and the, and, the, and the colored shirts. And he was yeah. the one I thought of when we are talking about interviews when he, I yeah. called him up on the phone. I'm like, you know, do you want to do our show? And he's like, uh, where are you guys? Where do I got to go? And I'm like, no, you can stay at home. And he's like, I can stay at home? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to call you up. And he's like, Oh, all right. Well, when do you want me to do it? You know, he was all excited. He thought he had to drive somewhere to be on the show. And then when he comes on the show, he starts asking us what our favorite colors are to make the shirts. That was a great interview. Yeah, it was, right? Yeah, it was yeah. hilarious. So that was when he was back when he had his own play, chanpoker.net, when everyone had their own yeah, poker website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good times. Yeah. No, I'm glad he asked about that. It, 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 again, if something came up where we had to do an interview because it was just so vital, so important, we would do it. But really, we know you just love hearing us talk, so... Hey, we got new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing your garden variety $1, $2, no limit hold'em cash game at our regular casino. I don't know too many of the other players in this particular game, and the ones involved in the hand are virtual unknowns to me. We bought in for 300 instead of our normal 200 and sit with 317. We've been playing for about a half hour. The blinds post, the end of the gun raises the table standard to $10. This player from the short time we have played here is tight. 
He's taken down one pot since we've been here when his queens flopped a set against ace-king on an ace-high board. He has 250, he's been here longer than us, and we've gathered he bought in for 100. We get a caller from the MP, and we are on the button, again with 317, and the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. This is too strong a hand to fold, even to an under-the-gun razor, but I really don't want to just see what happens on the flop. I want to take control with a 3-bet. If we get 4-bet, we can let this go. We make it $35. The under-the-gun calls, but the MP folds. There's $78 in the pot after the rake, and the flop is the ace of hearts, queen of spades, queen of clubs. The under-the-gun almost immediately checks to us. We make it $40 to go. Yes, this is just over half pot, but there's not a lot of danger with this flop, and I'm going to value town right now. The under-the-gun thinks for a bit before calling. Hmm. There's 158 in the pot, and the turn is the tray of clubs. The under-the-gun checks again. Backdoor clubs are coming in, but I'm not at all that worried about them. However, the pot size has gotten out of hand. I like a check here to keep the pot where it's at, so we can shove a safe card on the river. The pot stands at 158, and the river is the tray of diamonds. The under-the-gun leads out for $75, leaving him 100 behind. So, we have a full house. Is there anything to think about here? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands for situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you want something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Our good buddy Matt Bodor from uh, out of Thunder Valley is in the house this week. And uh, this is from a $1,000 buy-in tournament, which we play every week, Chris. So yeah, this, is, yeah, this, this is our wheelhouse here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 60K starting stack. And it's a one-entry freeze-out, so like the main event of the World Series. So, um, in fact, actually, this is the WSOP mini-main event that we talked about oh, this yeah. summer. Yeah. Fantastic. Right? So, you're one and done in this one, buddy. All right, let's see. Uh, we are, um, he says, two hours into play. We've increased our stack to squiggly 140K. Wow. Um, again, our starting stack was 60K to begin wow, with. Wow, that's huge. Not bad. He's a good player. Yeah, but I mean, wow, these players are willing to give up that many chips in less than two hours? Well, this is what we talked about with the Abyss tournament, right? You know, people shouldn't be going broke in a tournament with the, this kind of structure that early, but uh, they find a way to lose their chips, right? <laughs> wow. Especially because it's one and done. That's what's really surprising, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you're out if you, you're out. <laughs> you're out if you're out. <laughs> you're out if you're out. <laughs> and you're out. <laughs> like Bob Spaceballs now. Jeez. Uh, all right, anyhow, level six. Uh, blinds are 300, 600 with a 600 big blind Annie. And uh, Matt says, uh, the only woman at our table opens a 1,500 in early position. I want to bring up that she's a woman because I've had difficulty playing against women at times. I always feel like I'm getting bluffed, even though that's rarely the case. They always have it. I guess I watch too much uh, Lonnie Harwood and Kristen Bicknell on TV and need to fix that leak in my game. Uh, this player hasn't played a ton of hands and doesn't seem to get out of line or act overly aggressive. He folds around a late position, the player on my immediate right calls. I don't have any reads on this guy. Uh, we've only been playing a couple hours. Uh, he hasn't played a ton of hands. He doesn't come across as a first-timer, though. He's uh, been very quiet as I've been chatting the table up and trying to get players to remove the headphones and have some fun. That's what Matt likes to do. And uh, he says it's uh, on us, and uh, we look down at pocket fives. Um, where are we? Are we? Yeah, that's a good question. Let me see if he uh, told us. <laughs> uh, well, just when does he act, and that'll tell you in the next segment of it, or whatever. 
It looks like we're going to have position here. So we right, let's, just say, let's, let's just say we're on the button. We're button adjacent, let's say, if not. All right. Well, I mean, we have so many chips. We're clearly doing a lot of things correctly that by level six, we've basically doubled our stack. So, more than doubled our stack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do we start with? 60? Yeah, so we've more than doubled our Yeah. So we got 140. So, yeah, I mean, first of all, we got a ton of chips. We're flush here. We can do whatever we want. The question is whether or not you want to take control and continue. You know, I, I, he knows these people better than we do, but he's he's not gotten much out of the guy right near him, and he feels confounded by the woman in early position. So maybe a call is just in order since he he really doesn't have a good read on either of them, and then see what happens there. I mean, you know, you're in position. You could raise just to take control of the hand and see if, how legitimate her early position raises are, and it's a small enough raise in that. You know, I mean, generally, when there was no blinds involved, no antes or whatever, and it was just regular blinds, and it was 3-6, people would make it 1,800 at least from early position, maybe more. And now this person's making it 15 with 600 and antes out there. Yeah. So, to me, that's not a big raise. So, I, I don't know if I'd read anything into that, but you might be able to get this person to, to lay it down or find out right away. Not that you want them to lay it down. I mean, it's so early, and you probably want to mix it up and get some big pots here. So, I don't know, maybe set mine. Make it look like you're just calling because you're in position, but you actually have a hand. And then, you know, it just depends on the players, on the situation, how you want to mix it up at that moment. I would probably just call because of the fact that I, I kind of have a good read on these people as far as how they are going to play against me. Yeah, generally I'm almost always going to call with pocket pairs when I'm there's already been a raise and, um, you know, and it's it's within that 10% rule that we, we have, uh, which clearly is. Um, but I'm intrigued by this now because we have such a big stack. Um, and I think there's obviously a case to be made that once you have that stack, you need to start putting pressure on people, even at this early stage of the tournament. I mean, we are at a level six, I guess it's not terribly early, but still the blinds, um, uh, respective to your starting stacks are still very low. Right. So, um, but, uh, so I think there's a case to maybe you need to start putting those chips to use and start putting pressure on folks. And let them know that they don't want to get into a hand with you because you can bust them, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think that would be the argument um, for raising. Um, but but here's the thing: it was interesting uh, when I was on this uh, podcast yesterday. Um, you know, I was telling them how hey, how you all love to call me short stack ninja because I suck and I always have a short stack. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and uh, and I don't have a big stack usually, so uh, that, that that that's an experience I, I generally don't have in most tournaments. So I don't know what to do with it. In, my, in theory, I'm thinking that you should use it uh, and put pressure on folks, but uh, you know maybe you're putting that at risk unnecessarily. And um, set mining is probably still the proper way to go here. So funny, um, I never I never thought the short stack nickname was for poker for you. But all right, go on. So. <laughs> Whatever you got there, buddy. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, I think on balance, I mean, still calling is fine because if you hit that set, which is what you're trying to do, you're going to you're gonna bust them anyhow, right? So, Hopefully. you know, if, if you raise here, now, now you you open up the possibility of representing a lot of different hands. So you have a potential of, of winning of an ace-king. Those kind of hands come um, in addition to the five coming, right? So, um you know, I guess it depends on how active you want to be in this tournament. Uh, you know, set mining is is a very passive style where you just, you know, hope you hit your set and then chip up. <laughs> if you don't, you move on to the next hand. Um, 
But uh, I think Matt's a player here, so I, I'm going to suggest that Matt Matt probably raise here, but uh, Short Stack Ninja is going to call. Yeah, I mean, again, if there's some sort of question about how these people are going to react to you, or do you really want to put out six grand right now to only to watch the woman come over to the top with a 25,000 raids, you know what I mean, or something, then it's like I just wasted six grand when I could have set mine and saw a flop for a really cheap price considering right. the, raise is, the raise is small, there's a call, so I'm getting great money on my return on my money, and I have a huge stack, so here's a chance for me to really become the chip leader at this thing. So, I don't know. I, I don't even I don't even know if because he's such an aggressive or good player that he needs to raise here. I think a call might still be in order. Well, you make a good point. We don't really know these two players too well. It seems like he knows the woman a little bit better, but he's also fearful of playing against her because he needs to fix that leak, right? So, right. Uh, generally, you're more aggressive against players that you know how they're going to play, so you can, you know, um, outplay them. So, if we don't we don't have enough information, we don't feel comfortable confident that we have the right information to outplay these folks, then then uh, set mine is probably the best, safest strategy to go. With. Let's do it. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, he says, I like pocket pairs with no raise before me and being positioned in my stack size. I like to set mine and just call, although somebody did raise, so not sure what that means. But anyhow, so we set mine. So he says, right. the case can be made to three bet here, um, but the opener doesn't get out of line much, and I don't want to open up the action. I'm possibly face folding 5-5 five, five to a 4-bet, which is kind of what we said. So, Yay! Uh, flop is a doozy, says Trey 4-5 with two hearts. Uh, the woman leaves out for 2,500. The next player raises to 7,500 and back to us now. Wow. See, this is where I I like cash games. <laughs> <laughs> Because if I go broke because of this, I can just rebuy. You know what I mean? This is this is one of those hands where we have top set, but it's unbelievably a wet board. You know, I mean, she probably has an over. This guy probably hopes she has an over, and he could be set mining and have a set of fours, for all we know, or start threes. Uh, or you could have the flush draw, and he's trying to just take it down now because he doesn't believe her. But I don't think I'm going to call. Although, you know, I don't know, because if I really thought she was going to come over the top, with like her pocket queens or something, I might just call and let her try. But that's the thing; it's that's why three-handed is terrible. You always want to be heads up if you can. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I my my initial read on this was that that she had a decent hand and when it was doing the the standard C bet there, and and now that this guy let her know, hey, I've got a better hand, even though he's very likely to be doing this on a draw, right? Um, if we get involved here, I, I think she might sit this one out. I could be wrong, but. Um, uh, definitely, if we raise, I imagine she's she's going to fold here. But you, I don't know. You, you could be right. She might uh, might overvalue that 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 pocket pair. Maybe that pocket pair is not overvaluing too. I mean, both of us could be on draws here. So it's a difficult board to figure out, right? It would help if I knew their stacks too, because if I knew yeah. how much they had, you know, if this guy who made the raise seventy five hundred only has thirty left or twenty left or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So I, I, it just depends. I, I really need to know. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll try to figure that out as, as the hand goes on, but we don't know. But um, I feel like I feel like I don't mind a raise here because I'm hoping she has an over pair and shoves. I'm hoping she has aces, and if I re-raise this guy, she's going to be like, "Well, I'm going all in." I mean, she may it may if another raise may scare her or make her think convince her that someone's already got like ace do suited or a set. So you got to be careful with it, but I, I feel like. If one of them, if I got the impression that one of them would commit all their chips here, 
I would I would re-raise to like twenty. Okay, so I think this is interesting. So you 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 are not dismissing somebody having six seven right now, but you you're you believe it's less likely than maybe other players might. Well, ace do six seven maybe. Yeah, I mean, if it were a cash game, six seven. In a tournament, yeah, they might turn over 6-7. They might call a raise from an early position player with 6-7 and try to bust them. So that's possible, too. It is possible. Ace-deuce is possible, suited. You know, these guys start to mix it up with a suited ace here and there. Or, um, obviously, deuce-six is not. Well, the reason I ask is because uh, like, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, all right, I'm confident getting money in here because I got top set, um, and I have a chance to catch up if I'm behind if the the straight's already out there and i think your you your discussion there made it sound like um from your perspective you're not so much worried about the straight being out there and you're more concerned about getting more money in the pot now which is good both ways i mean it's just an interesting discussion to have yeah i mean if you if you have the straight already and let's face it she doesn't have the straight she does not have ace deuce raising early position never get out of out of the way uh out of the line i mean so this this other guy but he's and he's in late position but you know, if he does have, say, ace do suited or 6-7, does he really want to raise here or does he, he want to bring people along? Is it because there's hearts that he, that he, that's why he would raise with a straight? Is he afraid of the hearts? You know, so I don't know. If you have the straight and you have two people in the hand, you might want to bring him along. Um, so I don't know. He might, if he's convinced she has aces and he has a straight, he might do that because she might, you get the, you get us to fold. And then you get her to say, "Oh, I got an overpair. I'm re-raising you." Um, and it is interesting that the hand that really propelled me to almost chip leader at my table at the World Series when we played way back when was the exact same. This is the exact same hand. It's really weird. Hmm. We were we were three-handed, and I just won a big pot with kings, and I had six seven. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of Doyle Brunson saying, "If I'm winning, I'm getting right in the next hand, no matter what." And I just thought I had six seven suited. And I was in position, and someone raised early. Another guy called, and I so I call with six seven, and the flop came three four five. Guy had tens, she had aces. I knocked them both out in one hand, and I was like chip second to chips at the table. Very same situation, very sim- almost exactly the same, except Matt has a set, and I had the straight already. So um, it's possible these guy these two have over cards, over over pairs. You know what I mean? It's very possible. So I, I don't want to just uh, dismiss the straight, but I feel like maybe a call's in order, and then she may call or come over the top. If she comes over the top and then he folds, then I'm like, okay, because now I don't. I know she doesn't have the straight. Now I can really go over the top with her and get it all in. If I re-raise now, now I'm looking at this guy having the straight maybe, and then forcing us to have to boat up. So maybe a call is in order and see what she does. I realize there's hearts out there, but I can't be afraid of that. I mean, I, I need to. I need to play the hand that's that's there and what's possible. No, right no, now. Yeah, we gotta make we gotta make them make a mistake with that with the hearts if that's the case. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out with the villain uh, and you you went over a lot of this. I think is you know what hand does he have there that he raises with? Yeah. Um, because really you're right. If he's on a draw, he kind of wants to get there cheaply. Unless he's last to act, then you get that the whole free card play, right? But and he's not last to act. He he's got us behind him. Um. So he does – if he's on a draw, he wants more people in the pot, I think. So you don't raise at that situation. Really, the only hand I think is vulnerable here enough that you want to raise. Um, I mean, any made hand here, you feel vulnerable because of the hearts and the straight possibilities out there. So it seems like it's a made hand of some sort. 
and two pair doesn't make sense. Um, I don't think, although I'm giving him some credit for six seven, so I don't know why I wouldn't give him credit for five four at the same time, right? But yeah, um, it, you know, it could be like a eights, you know, or tens or something where under the gun raises and we call and we don't believe her continue bet. Maybe that's so. It. Yeah, I think the more I look at it, you know, uh, it just seems like he. Yeah, you're right. A made hand. That, that the only made hands out there are straight or you're right. Those middle pairs that didn't get didn't want to re-raise pre-flop. Yeah, and even a middle pair. Gosh, do you feel this confident right now? I mean, I guess you. You again, same thing we thought of. I mean, think about it this way: if you have pocket eights here, what what are you putting the the woman who who let out the action both times on? Well, that's the thing. Is it ace not, king? Not a, hand, not a yeah. hand that you're excited about fighting with her right now. With right, it could be, it's likely either a bigger pair than you have or two overcards to what you have. So unless it's you know maybe pocket sixes, so you got the backup of the straight, but you also look pretty good. Is it, I don't know. Is it? Is it I'm wondering I, I if it's a Scott Long thing. You know how you used to always when we had back when we had Lee on the show. Uh, he would always, you would always say, "I want to get information. I want to know where they are in the hand," and he would always bust our chops on that. But right. in this case, maybe that's what this guy's doing. He's saying, "All right, I want to see if she's for real. I want to see if my eights are good, and I can get this guy behind me out." Because he was just coming along, trying to, you know, was that whatever it was? That's he possible. So maybe he is doing that with his eights. You know, I don't know because it's 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 cheap enough at this stage. If this guy's got seventy, eighty thousand in front of him to make it seventy five hundred here and take down a smallish pot, then. To now get involved with her and to never have your answer until the end, and you've been you've leaked off, you know, twenty grand for no reason. So I don't know. It's an interesting hand. Yeah. I think now the more we discussed it, and of course we didn't have the luxury of this amount of time right, we're at right. the table, is that I think the the prudent play here is the the call. I mean, obviously we want to protect our hand, right? But we've already had two players protect our hands for us. There's been a bet and a raise already, so yeah, yeah. we don't need to re-raise. I don't think to continue to protect our hand. And I think there is a 50-50 chance that our middle guy here has the straight already or one of these other hands that, we, that we've been talking about. And until I know better, I don't want to get it into, you know, we still don't know what the woman's going to do. She could raise it, and this whole thing could be moved at this point. So, um, I don't know. I think to me, I'm putting that 75 in. Um, my expectation is the woman is either going to fold or just call and not re-raise. And then we'll go this turn and see what happens on the turn. If it's a heart or a deuce or a six or something that makes that board even more dangerous, then I can reassess. If we pair the board, um, that's fantastic. And then uh, then I feel more confident at that point. But yeah, I think I'm going to call here. All right, let's do it. That was probably the longest decision to make a call that we've ever had on this show. Yeah, there's probably a lot of uh, listeners that called the clock on it. There. <laughs> that's a long time, but let's call. <laughs> All right, Rivera says, I think for a moment, are we about to play a massive pot this early? Although I do have chips, I've done it by winning a large amount of hands. I'm sure some of the pot sizes were significant on the river. But if we continue now, we're going to make it difficult to get away in Turner River, and this pot will be massive. But, hey, it's top set, right? But then again, it's not even the nuts. It's possible we're already beaten and he's protecting against the flush draw. But if we are behind, we have outs. If a heart comes, I have to consider letting it go in the turn. 
I think about all the options, but decide to just call. All right, see, he did yeah. a lot quicker. He did a lot faster. Well, yeah, he's way better than we are. That's why. Oh, <laughs> uh, the women in early position folds. All right, so we thought we knew that was a possibility. And yeah. Again, so she was on the standard seabed, and then knew it was a dangerous board, and you know, yep. he got back at and got out. So that makes sense. Yep. So she had ace king. Uh, so again, so now we got to the turn at a decent price, and now we'll see what the turn is and go from there. All right, the turn is a 10, so our board now is tray 4, 5, 10, still with two hearts. And our lone opponent now bets squiggly 13, 500. Mm. Early late position bets 13.5. All right, so uh, maybe another call, and it looks like we're yeah, drawing. We're no better off in knowing what this guy has than we were before, right? Um, we would have got a better idea had the the woman stayed in and raised, although I wasn't rooting for that, <laughs> right? So we still don't know whether we're up against the maze straight or not, and our hand didn't approve. So, um, again, I, I think that the same argument we had before applies here. So this is another call, I think. Yep, I agree. All right, let's see what our hero says. Uh, he says, uh, I can't call fast enough. No heart. Yeah. <laughs> flop is straight for him. I've decided I'm not folding a flop set with no flush on board. All right, good. Ooh, kind of boring for everybody at home now. <laughs> well, at least, we, at least we caught up to the averages of how long the hand of the week lasts now. <laughs> you know, let that one go quickly and then catch up. But all right, so we call. That makes sense to me. You know, there's no reason to push it here. If this guy already has the straight, he's gonna, we're going to waste money. So let's just call and then hope the board pairs, and then we can be more comfortable. All right, the river's a non-heart nine, so our final board is tray four, five, ten, nine with two hearts, and our opponent bets sixteen thousand four hundred, which I think is interesting because last time he bet squiggly thirteen thousand five hundred, and now we're sure they had sixteen thousand four hundred. <laughs> um. You know what? I, I, I think and I'm just if it makes you, If it's important to you, he says, uh, and it should be important to you, I guess, uh, he has about uh, 10 to 12K behind. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it, I don't think I'm going anywhere with this set. I, this guy could have a set of 10s now after all. They're set of, River to a set of 9s. but Set of 9s, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh, there's lots of ways we could lose this hand. So, so there's no reason it. to just waste another 12,000 on top of it, but there's no way I'm getting away from it. So I think I just call. I do, too. I think that's the only play. So let's see uh, what Matt says. He says, I snap call. Uh, honestly, I didn't take much time to consider the other options. And I, when I flip over, he is disgusted. He flips over Trey Trey for a bottom uh, set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and he says, set over set in a World Series of Poker mini main. Uh, we rake in a huge pot in a spot where I almost considered, but almost did not consider folding the flop top set. The woman in early position lets us know she folded ace ace. Whoa, wow. Yeah, I believe that. He says, uh, we will play another big hand with her very soon. Uh, thinking back, a case might be made to put him all in on the river with a raise, but he played so fast, I wasn't convinced the river wasn't a value bet with the nuts. Turns out he may have called it off with flop set, putting me on an over pair like Jack-Jack or maybe Queen-Queen. Uh, getting the super max value for my large hands is one thing I'm working to improve right now. The huge setups like set over set don't happen very often, but when they do, the best players will maximize the value. In those spots, but you know, I here's the thing: is I, I really can't see him putting us on Jack, Jack, Queen, Queen if we raise on the river. Obviously, he was disgusted when we called and turned over, um, and, we, and we had a set that beat him. But if we raise at that point, I mean, think about everything we just thought about, right? Uh, right. Flat straight, um, uh, or or 
him having pocket nines or pocket tens and, and catching up with a bigger set. Those are all the things that he has to be going through his mind as well with us, right? Yep, so, yep. so I think when we raise there, he he quickly eliminates Jack Jack Queen Queen, even the King King and Ace Ace, all those things, and has to look at uh, what's possible. And then when you look at what's possible now, his hand shrinks up more than ours does. That's right. Got he's got the worst set. So if any set out there, if if we have any set, we have him beat. And if we have the straight, we have him beat. So you know, really, the only thing that we that that he can beat at that point, I think that's legitimate for us to have, is a bluff. So, and we, we called a lot of chips off there to be bluffing on the river. Yeah, I mean, I, Jack Jack too. I guess is something that we. I mean, I guess we could have re-rate. I don't know what we would have done with Jack Jack because of uh, the early position person still being in the hand after those bets. You know, we don't know that person's folding until. Yeah. I- I don't think you call there. I think you, you play that you play that faster than you play what we had. So, yeah. or if not, at least on the turn. Once that turn comes now, and it's not an ace or a king or a queen, if you have jacks there, now you've really got to, you know, if, if you're in that hand to win it now, I, I don't think you just call and hope for the best at that point. Yeah, the other thing too is the guy only had twelve behind after that final bet. So on the turn, if you're if you make thirteen five, we make it thirty. That's basically the rest of that guy's stack anyway. So maybe you do that with Jacks. I don't know. Interesting, interesting hand. I mean, we spent so much time on on the flop that <laughs> I've kind of kind of fizzled out here on the end. But yeah, that's I, it. Was funny because we talked about it being a possible set over set. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm like, if you are on the turn trying to figure out what to do, and we said from the beginning we would like to know what the chip stack is. So now that we know, it was about 28 behind when when he bet that. Uh, right, so he had about 41 when he went to bet 13.5, roughly. Right, so now we know our maximum outlay for this hand is 40-some K at that point, which with this hand is, is, is fine. I mean, if he would have shoved on the river for 28, I don't think we'd go anywhere, right? So right. Um, so at that point, maybe the, maybe the play is to raise there and, and – and make him make a bad play if he's on a flush draw, or, or or get him to fold so he doesn't catch up on the flush draw. But of course, uh, at that time we were still entertaining. He had ace deuce or six seven, and so yeah, do we really exactly. want to re-raise them all in with jacks when we think he has the straight. So we're hoping to catch up. So I still don't think we do anything different on the turn. No, yeah, I mean we're still fifty fifty on what he had at that point. Yeah, so. yeah, very interesting hand. It's still really fifty fifty on the river as to what he had too. So you know what I love about Matt? Matt knows that he's a superior player than than we are. But he still sends in hands of the week because he he wants to hear different perspectives, which is what we offer. They may not be the best perspective, or they might not be the wisest, but he knows he's a better player than we are, and he still but sends it. Also helps him play against bad players. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, we we exactly. That's what I was going to say next, but you got PB two because he knows we suck. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.